Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters, and uh, joining me again is Josh Roller. He is located all the way in Charlotte. I am in Indianapolis, where uh, it feels weird to say this, but it is actually race week. Uh, it is Indianapolis 500 race week. We are going racing in August this weekend at the Indianapolis 500. That is the first time that it's ever happened. Uh, and so we have some uh, exciting things to talk about regarding the Indianapolis 500 this uh, week on this podcast. Uh, but so we've got a lot of actually in general, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get the housekeeping out of the way. If you are brand new to the podcast, thank you for listening for the first time. We hope that you enjoy this. If you do like the show, you are welcome to f- follow us on social media. We are located on Twitter at rpeters33. That's me. That's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And then the show can be found at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. We are set to go. I think we should jump into the news, Josh, because there's a lot of news. What do you think? Yeah, so this week we got a little switcheroo. You find out later why. So it's like the rollers racing report this week. Let's kick it off. Austin Dillon experienced COVID-19 like symptoms and was tested. He came back positive uh, with COVID-19 and he entered quarantine and he missed the go bowling 235 at Daytona's road course. Uh, per an RCR press release, his wife Whitney and and uh, new son Ace remain uh, or quote remain healthy and symptom free. Unquote there. Uh, Kaz Grala was named Dylan's replacement. He competes for RCR part-time basis in the Xfinity series. Quite the little road racer himself. As you find out, he did did pretty good. Uh, Dylan is the third full-time NASCAR driver to test positive following Jimmy Johnson and Spencer Davis in the truck series. Brendan gone also tested positive and recovered and raced on uh, uh, Sunday. I uh, didn't have the day he was looking for, uh, but he's only part-time and didn't miss any races that he planned to compete in as a result of his diagnosis. Justin Marks is reportedly forming a NASCAR cup series team called track house that could be on uh, racing as soon as next season. Uh, he was one of the bidders for the assets and charter of the Levine family racing sale, which ultimately did go to Spire Motorsports. Sources say that Marks is in talks with teams to acquire cars, technology, and uh, a different charter with an alliance for next season. Uh, and, and a major reason for the creation of this team is to promote STEM education. Now, uh, Marks tweeted uh, first, uh, the work that NASCAR is doing on the future of the sport is 100% what is needed. Uh, it's been a dream of mine to compete at the highest levels in the sport and the business announcements to to come, unquote there. Then he tweeted, uh, a core component of the business plan is to create an opportunity for us to give back to the youth in America that need an opportunity to, su- to succeed. This sport creates the perfect formula for taking STEM into the communities and creating positive change. Uh, that was kind of some exciting news to hear that and. And new teams being formed. I remember forming a team one day. Didn't know it was going to be coming this soon. Uh, so that was pretty fun to hear um, that news be shared by Adam Stern and then Justin Marks. Or Dash and Richard Petty Motorsports have signed a multi-year partnership, which began this past weekend. Twenty. So another new sponsor on board uh, at RPM. And uh, I mean, it. I mean, I. 
I don't want to call it, but the things are looking like Bubba could be going or remaining with Richard Petty Motorsports going forward. So that's pretty interesting news there. Some bust of sad news here. Myrtle Beach Speedway held its final race on Saturday night. Um, it was announced in the spring that uh, the Speedway had been sold to developer developers who plan uh, uh, to uh, houses and possibly a hotel. Busy uh, part of town there, major. intersection of uh highway you know uh sometimes the link it's disappointing uh just did to lose this his sarbro night um you know, for years I've been saying that the truck series should be going there uh, early parts of the year, and uh, unfortunately, this op- that opportunity is lost. Marco Andrew, the 104th to green on Sunday for the very first time. Uh, it's the first time. I mean, Andretti has. on the pole in the top 14. Joseph Newgarden, who qualified 13th, is Roger Penske's best Chevrolet uh, in his first 500 uh, under his stewardship there. Penske's other cars qualified 22nd. That's Will Power, 25th. Simon Pagano and 28th, Helio, Elio Castroneves. And then Fernando Alonso qualified 26th. And worrisome there. Uh, <laughs> when he went out and he qualified 12th of 13 at the time. And then uh, what could be? His final 500, Tony Kanaan, is 23rd. So those are kind of the big names. Uh, obviously, there's many more big names, but those are kind of the notable ones that with the Penske and, and obviously Alonzo. It sounds like he will not be able to compete while he's racing with Renault uh, for the next two seasons, uh, even if the Monaco and Indy dates don't conflict. Yeah. IndyCar's Gateway re- uh, Weekend is unaffected by the new Illinois State Edict, uh, which reduces capacity of bars, restaurants, and casinos. But that does not affect outdoor events. Fans are still allowed um, and hasn't affected uh, how many fans they can have there. Uh, that weekend will feature an ARCA Indy Pro 2000 in an IndyCar race on Saturday. And then the Gander Truck Series Vintage Indy Race and an IndyCar race again on Sunday. So if you get tickets, that's going to be a fun day. The only thing is I did see they cannot uh, – the concession stands must close at 11. Ah. Uh, so, but that's no big deal. I, I, I wouldn't think they'd be able to get everything done all, uh, just all right. Uh, testing of the next gen NASCAR cup series resumes at Dover. And actually there was was a test yesterday, but I don't know who the driver was at Daytona's road course with the next gen car. But again, I don't know who the the driver was there. I heard a rumor. It was Felipe Nazar. Okay. Well, there you go. Very interesting. I don't know why Nazar, but I, that was the rumor that I was hearing. Okay, Twitter. There you go. I like the rumor. That's an interesting, interesting person. But, but and it sounds the video. Everyone saw the video. Mm-hmm. The engine sounded beautiful. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, I like what I heard there. But anyways, the the cup driver will resume, at least confirmed a cup driver. We'll be resuming uh, at Dover International Speedway uh, on Monday and Tuesday following this weekend's races. Uh, he'll the, the purpose there is just to test the high load in the banks to, to test the parts that they're wanting to have in the car. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, is this is this car ready to go to a place like Dover? Um, and it'll be the first time it's been uh, the next gen car has been tested since March. Uh, and a friendly reminder, just in case you've forgotten, uh, a lot has happened since April. Uh, the next gen car is delayed until 22, uh, 2022. So we will not see it on track in 2021 as initially. Uh, planned a few years ago uh penske says that power pagino and new garden are going to be staying where they're at in 2021 that's good news if you're a fan of them you're a penske fan and you like the lineup it's a pretty potent lineup out there uh and he has opened the door to keep a fourth car uh for mclaughlin there and i'm sure some people are wanting to see uh elio maybe even get back in the ride there since he's a free agent now uh, not not sure if Penske's wanting to go back to four cars or not, but mm. you never know. I mean, mm. people like people are probably going to be holding their breath a little bit for that one. Uh, I would like to see Elio run full time and then put McLaughlin in a fifth car at select races, but I know Me that's one hundred percent. That's a lot of effort, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. And then some finally here, some Darlington throwbacks are starting to trickle out, and that's exciting uh, stuff. We usually see around. March and April, we start to see them trickle out. Obviously, COVID-19 kind of put a damper on that a little bit. But Austin Dillon is honoring Junior Johnson. Ryan Blaney is honoring uh, Paul Menard. That's a slick paint scheme, one of, I think, the best Menard's paint schemes that aren't yellow of all time, for sure. Uh, Kevin Harvick is throwing back to Bush uh, in 1997, which I thought – very unique. Bush has always done a little things more unique because they don't have a lot of paint schemes to go off of in the repertoire. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, Ryan Newman is honoring himself in the 1999 USAC championship. He won. Daniel Hemrick is honoring John Andretti. Pretty cool video. Uh, don't think we mentioned it before, but uh, Junior Motorsports did put out like a four minute video. Very neat. Uh, a few weeks ago, Joey Logano is honoring Bobby Allison, the first time a Shell Pennzoil or a Shell or a Pennzoil car is not being run at Darlington. This one is just strictly number alignment uh, here. So that's pretty neat to see that one. And then Tyler Reddick is throwing back to Jeff Burton's rookie year uh, when he won Rookie of the Year in 1994 in the Cup Series. So all good looking, I think. Um, and uh, – that's all we got today as far as the news. A little bit of a slower news week, but that's okay. Because um, we got some good races to talk about. And uh, I say we, we we should move on to the next segment here, Rob. All right. That sounds fine with me. Uh, because uh, I, I, I like uh, going into the featured paint scheme and talking about some of that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, good stuff to talk about this week. Uh, but let's run through the featured paint scheme first. Uh, so our... We decided we went out, went ahead and picked the 1999 NASCAR Winston Cup Series to highlight uh, this week for our featured paint scheme. Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with your your selection, because I know my selection is going to be uh, one that I don't think people very much remember, but I do like yours here uh, quite a bit, actually, because uh, I really, really like what you've got going here. Yeah. Well, you're, you never miss an opportunity to talk about Greg Ray. Well, I will never miss an opportunity to talk about Jeff Gordon uh, in, 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 in his paint schemes. 
So I'm going with the DuPont Automotive Refinishes NASCAR Racer Chevrolet Monte Carlo. There we go. Yeah. He ran it uh, at the penultimate race of the 1999 season at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, he was not alone in NAS- uh, running NASCAR Racers paint schemes. Kenny Wallace also drove one. He was in the 55. Uh, the Square D Chevrolet, Bobby Labonte in the 18, and Terry Labonte in the 5. Um, NASCAR Racers was an animated television series for kids, uh, which really centered around two teams, Team Fastix and Team Rexcord. Um, they competed in a futuristic NASCAR Unlimited series. Uh, again, it's animated. Um, it was awesome. Car- it was really, it's really neat for the times too. It had to be cool. Certainly like how can we get kids in racing? You know, they're even thinking about it back then when NASCAR is booming and you have all these fans, they're still thinking, how can we get the next generation hooked? Um, I remember, I wish I knew where I had some of those like plastic toys, like you got from McDonald's or something. I have a few. I, I, I believe I, I have a few. I wish I knew. I, I may not have them anymore, but I wish I knew they were where they were. Um, it That show ran from 1999 to 2001 had a total of 26 episodes and was on Fox's Fox Kids Block programming. So uh, Gordon's remember car. That. Huh? Do you remember Fox Kids? I don't. I, I remember don't Fox know. Kids. I remember Fox Kids, and then it became the Fox Box. Uh, but I also remember NASCAR Racers. I watched it a lot on, and as a kid, uh, they used to air it on uh, Toon, Disney, Toon Disney's Jetix Block. I okay. used to watch it all the time on that. Yeah, because was well when when NASCAR racers came out, I was like four or five. So while I did watch it, uh, I don't think I got I didn't understand it or get in as into it as I did when I started watching it on Toon Disney and Jetix. So, uh, but NASCAR racers always has a very very strong place in my heart because I think it's it was really cool back in the day mm-hmm. when it was airing to mm-hmm. see something like this. Uh, so I like that you're talking about it now. I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, but I had to talk about just how awesome I felt. I mean, really, and objectively, NASCAR Racers is not a bad show. Like, if you no, went back, if you no. go back and watch it now, I think most of the episodes are up on YouTube. You can just watch them. Objectively, it is not a bad show. I mean, the writing is actually pretty good. And the animation is, of course, top of the line. Yeah, definitely. I agree. 100% there. Yeah, I was about to say, like, they're all on, most of them are on YouTube, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gordon's particular car, um, it was orange in the front and through most of the top and the sides, but then it kind of quickly faded to yellow uh, in the rear. And then there was, like, lightning bolt-like designs. Not exactly lightning bolts, but not straight lines of any purpose. So that's what kind of reminded me of, just lightning bolts. Uh, those were along the sides and the roof and the hood as well. It was only the second time in his career that the 24 was not the normal yellow uh, on the sides of the car, which, I mean, back in the day was kind of big because, you know, Rainbow 24 all the time. Of course, he hadn't run a lot of different paint schemes, but that was still a big change. Uh, for this race, it was very dark blue, but it had yellow lining and and then it had dark blue accents uh again uh and 24 looked just like the 24 he'd always run uh style wise it was also the inaugural cup race at homestead uh gordon qualified 10th and finished 10th he led one lap uh uh, he was one lap down but did manage to lead three laps in two occasions that day tony stewart won the race and was followed by teammate bobby labani in second so that was my future paint scheme i actually have the dice a small die cast 
uh, with me down here in Charlotte. And uh, thanks to my mom and dad who brought it a couple weeks ago uh, <laughs> with uh, with the move I had. So uh, definitely when I found that, I found it for a good price. I was happy to get that one because it's just a cool paint scheme in general. Uh, one of the, I think if you look at Gordon's alternate paint schemes, easily top three, I, th- I, I think. Easily top three. I might be going to stretch too far for some Jeff Gordon fans. They might say, no, man, you're crazy. But I think it's easily a top three because it's just so unique. And for the 90s, it, w- it was like, it's a 90s paint scheme at it at, at, at its best. And that's what makes oh, it so I know. cool. So, uh, Rob, why don't you tell everyone about yours? Because I'm seeing this for the first time. And, yeah, thank you for, you for the reminder. Uh, you're welcome. Because uh, when you're speaking of something that reeks of the 90s, I've got also something that equally reeks of the 90s. Uh, this paint scheme, my choice for this week is going to be one that I don't think many people remember. It was a scheme that briefly ran towards the end of the season, and it saw mixed results during the entire 1999 season. Uh, so Rick Mast's number 98 Woody Woodpecker Ford, uh, for the final season of existence of Kale Yarborough Motorsports, the team essentially started the season without full-time sponsorship. So it had a bunch of different sponsors on it, uh, when it was running. And if it was, if it had sponsors, it was, you know, running, uh, those sponsors, but it really wasn't, you know, the 98 was the same as it always had looked, um, on Kale Yarbrough's cars, so uh, but this this time it it took a, a bit of a different a different spin on it. Uh, so by the by the summer of 1999, Universal Studios had signed on to be the primary sponsor of the 98 car for Kale Yarbrough Motorsports and Rick Mast. And interesting enough, uh, they brought Woody Woodpecker on to be one of the primary sponsors of the car for the majority of the season. And what was interesting about this was because they essentially revamped the entire paint scheme of the car from when it was running with multiple sponsors or sponsorless entirely. Uh, and they changed it and made it the most 90s thing ever. Uh, is a bright green hood. Bright green hood, I'm serious. Followed by, and I use these uh, adjectives to describe the 90s-ish, the 90s nature of them, is the <laughs> wild and radical red and blue that uh, kind of eventually uh, took towards the rear of the car. And, uh, and of course, Woody Re- Woodpecker was on the hood, and he had tons of tood. You know, Woody Woodpecker was, uh, had an attitude, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what every mascot or every character had to have back in the 90s. You know, Sonic the Hedgehog had to have tood. You know what I mean? Uh, everybody did. Um, and so, of course... This car had tood. <laughs> this car definitely did have tood. It had a lot of tood. Um, and so Woody Woodpecker was essentially all over the car, uh, and he was, uh, in various, so I think on the front of the hood, he, he was smiling, and then on the, on the side of the car, or like near, near the quarter panel, above the, uh, quarter panel and everything, he was, uh, driving, but he was driving radically, you know, in a car. Yeah, he's like he, extended here. Yeah, he was extended like he was being shot out of a cannon while, racing or something holding well, the car's pulling wheel. him like you're driving you're like the car's going so fast it's pulling you like yeah exactly uh it, it just just uh, interesting way to look at things uh but uh so rick mast uh had up and down mixed results so actually uh not in this car but he did finish 10th in the daytona 500 in 1999 which is surprising uh, i didn't even recognize that realize that until i looked it up 
Uh, for some reason, I think that that's just a fact that people forget, and I forgot, definitely. Uh, but uh, Rick Mast did not have very much success in this car. Uh, and But he did have a ninth-place finish at uh, New Hampshire in the fall in the Woody Woodpecker car. In the Woody Woodpecker car. Uh, outside of that, though, Rick Mast wouldn't really have much success. And uh, after the season, he'd leave Rick Ma- he'd leave Kelly Arbor Motorsports because Kelly Arbor Motorsports would shut down at the end of 1999. Uh, and Rick Mast really didn't have a full time ride in 2000. And nah, he really didn't. Uh, well, he tried. He went to uh, Larry Hedrick, but they shut down. I think after five, five or six la- yeah. uh, races in the season. Um, and he went to so- Don Le- Levy in one, right? Yeah, I think he was with Junie Dunleavy in the Hills Brothers car. After that, and then he had to then he had to quit because of uh the uh yeah the I, I, I looked up Rick Mast's okay. career last night, and I wish I had remembered more of what I looked up. Uh, but anyway, so that was that's my featured paint scheme. That's me talking about uh, Woody Woodpecker. I do actually have the diecast of it. Oh, uh, I'm jealous. Oh, it's. It's it's an old one. It's an old. We one. chose very '90s paint schemes here. What I mean, I don't. I, this might be one of our best. Oh, I agree. I love talking about these crazy '90s paint schemes. That just they, these schemes reek of the '90s, and for some reason, regardless of how you feel about them, they could be either uh, endearing or you can be annoyed by them, what have you. Uh, but for me personally, I find them to be quite endearing, so I like them. Yes. Uh, let's take a look here at uh, this re- week's winners, uh, because we do have uh, quite a bit of of winners to take care of here uh, today. Um, so number one, let's let's uh, take a look at Formula One. Formula One uh, Spanish Grand Prix was won by Lewis Hamilton. Uh, that was a race that did indeed happen um, in Formula Two. However. Uh, we saw uh, Nobuharu Matsushita and Felipe Drugovic, both MP Motorsports cars, win ra- sweep the weekend essentially and win races in F2 at, at uh, Barcelona. Actually, Nobuharu Matsushita in the feature race. This is the thing that's interesting about this that race that happened was he started 18th on the grid out of 22 cars, 18th on the grid, um, and and uh, he set a record for being the driver who has um who started the lowest in a formula two race to win the race so 18th on the grid is the lowest that anybody has ever started in formula two to win a race now how did he do this how did he do this well he had an alternate strategy uh first and foremost that uh, allowed him to not have to pit at all um and then he got incredibly lucky with a safety car and that's that's pretty much what happened he was able to come in Changed tires, put up. He was he started the race on the hard tires. He came in, was able to come in, change tires, put on the soft tires, and he was done. He was down and away after that. And the rest was history. Uh, and then in the sprint race, Felipe Drugovic, his teammate, wins again. And that's and that's Drugovic's uh, second win on the season. So, and, and a lot of people didn't really think Drugovic or MP Motorsports were going to be able to compete this season, uh, especially after last season where only Jordan King was the driver that was scoring points. And of course, Mahavir Ragunathan was just being Mahavir Ragunathan. Um, mm. So great, great work for MP Motorsports this season. Uh, definitely they're showing a lot of, of speed. Uh, in Formula 3, however, uh, we have uh, Jake Hughes winning uh, the feature race and then Oscar Piastri, Piastri winning the sprint race. Now, Piastri did win that sprint race, uh, but he has not yet overtaken Logan Sargent for the points lead. He holds a one, Sargent currently holds a one-point Still. Uh, lead over 
uh, over Piastri, his teammate, and and uh, that was helped essentially by Logan did get the pole in in the in race one. He did stay on the pole, but he lost the he lost the lead uh, and ended up finishing third. Okay. Uh, and then in the sprint race, in the second race, when reverse grid came in, uh, he ended up finishing fifth. So he did actually have good points days. So he finished both races in the points, high up in the points. And that was actually what ended up helping him keep the points lead from Piastri, despite Piastri leading. Uh, so it will be definitely very interesting to see how this uh, plays out, because we do have three more rounds left at Spa, Frekershaw, Monza, and Magella for Formula 3. So that is six races. So there's six races, three rounds that uh, we'll have here, and we'll see uh, what ends up happening. If Logan Sargent can hold on to the points lead uh, or if uh, Piastri will end up uh, getting by him. So we will just have to wait and see on that one. Um, in uh, other news, let's talk about here real quick uh, some of the NASCAR some of the NASCAR races that went down this week while I um, look up a few things real <laughs> quick. Um so the first first race that we saw this weekend was the Arca race. Uh, the Arca race happened in um, Daytona. It was the first race. We really nobody knew what was going to happen uh, yeah. in that one because it was the first real race that we had seen uh, of the whole season. Uh, that, I mean, the Arca race, as the Arca series, to my knowledge, uh, was the only um, series that got any kind of practice. Yeah. Uh, they got any kind of practice whatsoever. Um, so I truthfully, uh, don't why they got a bunch of extra, uh, I don't know it's why they got control practice type thing, but it's not, it's not your normal practice. It's controlled, but it's, it's still, I'm still un, uh, confused on why we still haven't integrated RK fully into NASCAR rules and whatnot but that's just me but actually i will say that the arca race was quite enjoyable for my in my opinion i enjoyed it quite a bit um there was a great battle between michael self and and excuse me ty gibbs ty gibbs definitely looked like he had one of the best cars he is he showed that he can run road courses too mm-hmm. i mean ty gibbs is, is quickly showing everybody that this is somebody that could compete and I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. But Michael Self did actually end up winning the race. I know I'm hyping up Ty Gibbs for a little bit there. Uh, but Michael Self did actually end up winning the race. So good for Michael Self. He definitely needed that win uh, very, very much. Uh, and then the next race we saw running on the Daytona Road Course was the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Austin Sindrick nailed his fifth win in sixth races. And t- that ties Sam Ard's record. So I didn't expect this to happen at all. But hey, good on uh, Austin Sindrick for nailing it. He's on a tear Lately, like we just said, um, I don't think anybody expected this out of him. I didn't expect this out of him, this kind of form. I expected maybe a few wins here or there on road courses, but not the way he's been performing. Goodness gracious. Whew. Um, and then we had, uh, let's go Let's go into some of the races in Sunday morning first. I want to talk about the MotoGP race uh, because I don't know if you've seen. Oof, I know what you're going to talk about. You know what I'm going to talk about, these this, uh, this crash that happened? Oh my gosh. So, first and foremost, we want to say Andrea Divizioso, Divizioso won the race. Congratulations to him. Um, Valentino Rossi did end up finishing fifth. And the reason why it's important to point out that Valentino Rossi finished fifth is because this guy almost died twice, probably. Mm-hmm. Within seconds of each other. Within seconds of each other. So, if you have not seen this accident yet, 
Oof. Uh, you you're you're allowed to watch this if you are, I guess, interested in it. If you haven't seen it, but uh, essentially they're at the Red Bull Ring and going into what is essentially turn two or Formula One calls it turn three, but it's, it's, turn, it, three. it's turn two. It's turn two. I don't care what anybody says. It's turn two. There's that. The, there's a kink, the kink is not a turn. Of, yeah, the a kink, kink is enough of a kink to to call it a turn. A kink is not a turn. But anyway, so going through this kink, actually, two riders collide, and when the their bikes collide, they fall off. One of the bikes essentially has nobody on it, and it's just completely going by itself, which is something that does happen in MotoGP. Uh, and it barely misses uh, Valentino Rossi. By like inches. And then all of a sudden the second bike comes flying through and misses him again by inches. Mm-hmm. Inches. And this guy, they red flag the race, and you just see see him come down pit road and he's gotta he's gotta catch his breath. Like he oh, just yeah. cheated death. He knows he just oh. cheated death. And uh he's gotta catch his breath and try and manage. But he did finish fifth. So good good job for Valentino Rossi, uh finishing fifth on that. Uh, but Andra- Andrea Davizioso was the winner of the race. So again, like I said, MotoGP is, is now is the prime time to start watching MotoGP. So anything can happen with Mark Marquez not in the championship. It's true. Anything can happen right now if Mark is still nursing that shoulder injury. Um, anything can happen. So, boy. Uh, but hey, uh, it, it looks like uh, next week we're going racing again in Austria. Um, so we'll see what happens again. We'll see what happens again from MotoGP. Um, and then uh, the second uh, obscure race I'm going to talk about a little bit today. Uh, the WEC ran the six hours of Spa Francorchamps uh, over the weekend. Uh, I don't know if you were able to watch that, but it was on Motor Trend earlier in the day. It started at 7 a.m. and uh, obviously went for six hours, so about to 1 a.m. or excuse me, 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, so it was on TV. But uh, as uh, I'm honestly not surprised, Toyota Gazoo Racing. One in uh, the overall and in LMP1, Mike Conway and um, uh, Kamui Kobayashi and uh, Jose Maria Lopez. One uh, in that in LMP1 and in LMP2, United Autosports with Felipe, Felipe Albuquerque and Paul DeResta. LMGTE uh, was run by the Porsche GT team. Uh, that is uh, good for them. And then uh, in GTAM, uh, AF Course won uh, and. That was the uh, races in Spa and MotoGP this weekend. Uh, so let's talk about uh, now NASCAR Gander Alvarez and Outdoor Trust Series because that was the next race that took place in the Daytona Oval, and that was the third race that I watched on Sunday. There's a lot of races on Sunday, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Sheldon Creed won that. Sheldon Creed ended up winning that. And then uh, the Cup Series ended uh, there, uh, the, the big weekend of racing, uh, again on the Daytona Road Course with Chase Elliott, Knocking up his racking up, excuse me, not knocking up. That's weird. Why did I say that? That's a Freudian slip right there. Uh, racking up his third straight Cup Series road course win. Uh, so definitely good job there for Chase Elliott. Uh, I think now it's time to jump into some of the top takeaways from the weekend. I think we'll talk about Formula One first, uh, and then let's just get Formula One out of the way. We can talk about Formula One, and then we could jump into uh, some of the road courses at Daytona. Uh, Josh, what did you think about the Formula One race? Because, you know, I felt like strategy was not bad, uh, but it is Barcelona. Uh, and Barcelona is one of those tracks where it just doesn't typically yield a great race, a very exciting passing race. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes strategy can be interesting. And I think we saw some interesting strategies throughout the midfield. But for the most part, eh, you know, it was 
it was an okay race. I did enjoy it. I did. I will say I got enjoyment out of it. Uh, Lance Stroll finishing fourth. What the heck is going on here? How did this happen? Uh, I am still surprised about that. I love elevated seeing... to fourth. Ele- well, he was elevated to fourth. He did. He didn't finish fourth on track, but he did. He was elevated to fourth. But um, Sergio Perez got a, a penalty for ignoring blue flags, which was Weird. interesting. Interesting on that one. Yeah. I, 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 I might have seen it. I just, I don't know. Um, but so anyway, uh, Perez, uh, but only three cars finished on the lead lap. Mm-hmm. Finished three cars finished on the lead lap, which is rare even for a Formula One race. That that's not something that you see very often. I don't see that very often in a Formula One race. Uh, you know, I, I. But again, you know, I still thought it was an okay race. Uh, there was a few things here that were a bit odd. Josh, do you have any takeaways that you want to discuss real quick before I say anything else? You know, I. I, mean, I again, I enjoyed the race. It wasn't the greatest race in the world, but it was all right. I was really, I mean, obviously early on, Hamilton wasn't pulling away. I'm like, okay, is he not pushing it? Is he having an issue? You know, what's going on? And then I think it was around lap, oh, four, tank 10 or something like that area. All of a sudden he did start to yard. We were stapping a little bit and it kind of never Verstappen was just never close again on that one. But the midfield was fun. You had a lot of pack racing where, like, you just have a couple, four or five cars all together. And then they would separate. Then they come back. And, like, this is fun to watch. Uh, That was the race that, you know, like with any other racing farm, when the leader or the uh, the leaders are just kind of out there on a Sunday drive, and are that much better, you kind of got focused on where the racing was. And there was some good racing. The problem is, I think Mercedes just has the best car. Red Bull has the second best car, and it's better than than everyone else as well. And then, you know, the midfield is a great battle right now. And, and I thought, again, I love the two stops. An F1 race should always have two stops. I don't care. It opens up the door for more problems, you know, not necessarily, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not talking about uh, injury, but it opens up for, oh crap, this gun went went out and my 2.3 second pit stop has turned into a 10 second pit stop. Or, Or you have an issue where you, like Mercedes, they double stacked and that first pit stop where Hamilton had a four second stop, which is slow, very slow, uh, even that if it had gone any longer, all of a sudden Botas is going to lose time because he had to wait on Hamilton. And again, that just the, the, the chances of that happen just opens up with two stops. Now, I applaud those who made it on one stop. That's great. You know, Vettel and Perez particularly. Uh, but, man, I just like it when the more pit stops you have, the more opportunity for problems and excitement to occur that 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 – Pastor Maldonado victory to happen, you know, <laughs> know what you, you know, mean. that is what, you know, that happens. And again, I think I understand why they don't have refueling in formula one. Uh, I wish they did because then that, that throws an interesting strategy into it as well. I know another layer uh, probably will never see refueling again in formula one, which is sad, but other than that, I mean, I didn't get the blue flag deal. I felt like, you know, race control was a little harsh on a couple of those. I'm like, I don't get that. Um, and then the, the other thing was, um, Grosjean, you know, he doesn't do a lot right, but he saved that car and yeah, he, did. he Christopher belled that thing. Oh, boy. Uh, that's exactly what he did. Um, 
and then uh yeah I mean, that, was, that was about it i mean the i had to i had to say i i understand vettel's frustration we need you to push and then three laps later mm-hmm. hey can you make it all the way <laughs> uh but pushing for three laps sure why not um but yeah that was my takeaway the other thing i wanted to highlight here we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later in the show during another segment but Let's look at the top six of constructors championship real quick. Mercedes has 221. Yeah. Red Bull has 135. Racing Point 63. McLaren 62. Ferrari 61. <laughs> and Renault has 36. Um boy. This is gonna be fun to watch. Those the the I mean Renault, I think they just had a terrible day. I don't think they're Yeah, they did not have a good day on Sunday. No, Renault was no. definitely behind the eight ball. I don't think they're a third place constructors team or even a fourth place, but they can make things interesting. Should Ferrari continue to really struggle or and have issues, and if McLaren and Racing Point have have some bad races, they can make things interesting uh, for sure. I think they can at least get one guy in the points each race. Um, I, I am. Think I, uh, I think that's a possibility. But other than that, that's the thing I'm, I'm taking away. The biggest takeaway is that constructors deal. I mean, obviously Hamilton had a. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on here, but um, you know, has 156 career podiums. So I know has more podiums than anyone. And by the way, he has 256 career starts. So that's a heck of a percentage. Go on, Rob. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was just, I was uh, laughing because you know, I'm still trying to. It's, it's still taking me some time to get used to the whole idea of Racing Point being the third best team on the grid. Um, because I mean, you could for, you say what you want about racing point, but the fact of the matter is Perez and Stroll are not, they're not even separated by all that much. Like, it's not like, it's not like you have Perez out qualifying Stroll or out racing Stroll. It's usually Perez will out qualify Stroll. Stroll will finish higher in the race than Perez. Or mm-hmm. if Stroll qualifies higher than Sergio, then Checo will end up getting, will it will probably end up finishing higher in the race. You know, it's just they're they're so close, you know, and they're constantly up there battling. I mean, I don't know how they haven't had a podium yet. The only reason they haven't had a podium yet probably is because Max Verstappen uh, is this is just been splitting the two Mercedes the whole time. That, that's uh, why they're going to have to beat them. You're going to have to beat Verstappen. You're going to have to beat Verstappen and at the very least Bottas, and that is going to be a tough ask mm-hmm. uh, because. Beating Hamilton is just impossible. That's not realistic at the moment. But beating Verstappen and beating Bottas is a legitimate possibility for re- Racing Point at this current moment. And I think I firmly believe that both Stroll and Perez can do that. Um, I have been impressed with Lance Stroll. Like I, I think this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about all that often is that you know people think oh Lance Stroll he's only here because he he's got daddy's money you know and his dad owns the team it's nepotism and stuff it was like. Okay, well, yeah, all of that is true, but look at his look at his junior career, and then look at his career now. I mean, it's not like he's behind Sergio; like he's legitimately able to outqualify him. And if you're, I, I don't care who you are, if you're able outqualifying your teammate is so important in keeping and maintaining a ride in Formula One because you know that's the ultimate test of how good you are. You know, how do you stack up to your teammate? You know, you're they're not asking you; they're not going to ask you. Okay, you didn't outqualify the Mercedes, so you're you're gone, you're dropped. You know, no, did you outqualify your teammate? And by how many tenths did you outqualify your teammate by? You know, that's what they're looking at. How many tenths are you outqualifying your teammate? And how many times did the teammate outqualify you? And the fact of the matter is, right now, 
Stroll and Perez are so evenly matched that it's just going to vary every time. Uh, and one of them hopefully is going to get lucky and, and, and grab that podium soon. Yeah. Um, because I really feel like it's happening. You have one bad day for Botas or one bad day for Verstappen, and those pink cars are right there ready to jump right in. And It almost happened for Botas on the start of the race. It did. Yeah. It did. I mean, Stroll made that insane start. Great, I mean, great move. What are we seeing? Lance Stroll takes third on the start. Like, what? Oh, my gosh. That was insane. Uh, and I know I just said like earlier, I was like, oh, the Formula One race was kind of, oh, oh, so, so. But that's the thing. You got to look at, you can't look at, you got to look at specific things in Formula One and look at anomalies and weird things. And it's, it's just right now it's, it's fun. I know the teams like are, are upset, especially Renault uh, are upset about Racing Point being so good, but I don't understand how you could be mad at them for just exploiting a rule and suddenly getting all this pace. That that's racing. That's racing. Yeah. That's the way it's been all, all you you here's a rule book, all right? Play within these rules. And if you find a loophole in a gray area, I mean, I didn't agree with them getting in trouble at all. They should not have gotten in trouble at every all. single engineer. And I I, I seriously, I I took I took an engineering class in college, guys. A, a motorsports engineering class in college. Did I do very well in it? No, because I'm not good at math. But there's a reason why I did journalism instead of engineering. But Every time they had a guest speaker come in that was a former engineer, they said the same thing. I hate rules. <laughs> I hate rules. I specifically – I read the rule book. I memorize it front, front to c- cover to cover, uh, and then I try and find out ways to break those rules Yeah, legally. I mean that's yeah. what an engineer is doing. That is yeah. seriously what every single engineer is doing, and <laughs> it's like – if everybody on the grid is doing this and Racing Point just does it better than everybody else. Exactly. Well, Renault was upset that they didn't do it. You know, that that's their deal. And I think it's more, it might be more of a, you didn't break the rules, but it might be frowned upon. It and is definitely frowned me, upon. Yeah, but to me, frowned upon is just like, okay, eh. let's try not to do it again. All right, let's try not, yeah. let's try to be a little nicer but we're going to, I mean, I would not have given them the, the penalties that they got because that is just BS. They've and already said we're just going to close the loophole. Yeah. For next I mean, yeah. Year. The, 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 and next year, this what they did is illegal. Next yeah. year, what they did is illegal. So I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. You've got, but, the, you've yeah. got the loophole closed for 2021. I, and, and especially considering the fact that development is essentially frozen on mm-hmm. those cars. I don't know what else Renault wants. I mean, they've, They've said, okay, race boy, you can't do this for next year. So you pretty much guaranteed that you're holding them back from doing this again. So yeah. I, I don't know why they're still pursuing it. I, I just don't understand. Like, okay, you're going to have one bad season. Well, it's a shortened season. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, 2020 is kind of a write-off. You already know who's going to win. Everybody knows who's going to win at this point. Um, every, it's just a battle of getting the cars ready for next season and developing the cars for next season because you don't have to develop a whole new car. You take mm-hmm. you've taken the car that you already had, and you're you know you're maybe upgrading some of the parts here and there. You might be upgrading a few other things, but outside of that, it's the same car. Yep. So really, if anything, you're you've just leveled it's the playing field. Continuous upgrade is all it's going to be at the end right. of the day. And I mean, Renault's. I again, we we should probably be moving on here, but Renault's just bitter. That's all they are. They're getting they're definitely beat, bitter. They're getting beat by who they feel they shouldn't be getting beat by, and you know what? Be better yourself. Right. Do better. 
Well, we've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time talking about Formula One. We For did. a race that wasn't very entertaining, we've spent a lot of time talking about Formula One. Let's talk about some of the road course races. Um, I'll be honest with you. The Arca race was the only race that I firmly enjoyed over the weekend. And I feel really? sad saying that. I feel sad saying that. Um, and I'm going to explain why real quick. Uh, before we, I mean, we could we could touch on all three of the races here, but I, I want to explain why. I think why just kind of group it all into one. You know, how did you feel about yeah. the entire weekend? I think the Daytona road course is an interesting beast because it's it's faster than the the Charlotte Roval. And I think with it being faster than the Charlotte Roval and it having more to do with, you know, drive, be driving on the oval per se, whereas with the Roval and in Charlotte, when you go to Charlotte, you know, you're in the infield section for the majority of the lap. You know, you're in the infield section for the majority of the lap where you're going through chicanes. Um, there's, yes, you do go through both, both sets of banked corners and on the backstretch, much like Daytona, but Daytona, the, main infield section is not necessarily as tricky or as uh you know or as intricate i'll say it's not as, technical no it's not very technical uh and i think when when that happened i think a lot of the entertainment factors that came out of the races was uh drivers licking the stamp and sending it to mars uh and just not caring who they wrecked just using other drivers as breaks essentially and we saw that for at, t- at times in the Xfinity series um the truck race was was better it was good uh it's just that i'm not so sure that the Daytona road course is suited for stock cars and stock trucks i'm just i'm just hesitant on that i think that arca put on a good show with two cars and that was that Originally, you only had two car, two competitive cars the whole race. There was a, gosh, what did I see? A 30-second gap from 1st to 10th by lap 2 or 3, which is ridiculous. So the top 10 cars are separated by 30 seconds after, like, the third lap. Which was expected. It was expected, but it's ridiculous um, nonetheless. But you have to also, I, you have to keep, I, I kept that in mind, is that the top two were separated by 5 tenths most of the race. So again, I mean, take pick your battles there. But as for the other, the 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 top three series, the trucks, Xfinity, and Cup, I just I just wasn't so sure it was it was as entertaining as I expected. You know, maybe my expectations were 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 not met. Maybe they were too high. I don't know. Maybe the expectations out of the Roval made made this crazy, especially considering there was no practice, there was no qualifying. There's it was just a complete unknown, and expecting all those unknowns kind of put my expectations higher, and it didn't. They ended up not getting met. Is that's what I ended up thinking had happened? I'm sure if I go back and I watch these races again, and I try and watch them objectively, I might find a little bit more enjoyment out of them. I know a lot of people did find these the Cup race at least to be a good race. The Cup race I had problems with because again, it it, it stems back to the same problems I've 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 called out NASCAR for in the past is that. Your rear spoiler is too darn big, and it's too hard to pass. You have a track with perfect passing zones. You quite literally have a track with passings with the absolute perfect passing zones. And to see drivers not be able to get make moves was very frustrating. And a lot of it was due to arrow, and that's dumb. I don't like that. 
I don't like seeing that. Now, did this happen all weekend? No. The Xfinity Series didn't really have this problem. Uh, the Truck Series didn't really have this problem. Only the Cup Series had this problem, really, that I saw. But again, it just goes back to, are we going to do this again? Are we going to do this again? Is it a good idea to have the, bu- the Bush clash on this road course next season? You know, are, save are, that for later. You know, is, is this right? Save it for later. But are these, is this a good idea? Is this a good idea uh, going forward? I think it can be. I don't want to say that just because I was disappointed with the weekend of races that it can't be good because I think it can be. I think NASCAR can absolutely change some things with the cars, get more practice and qualifying in there so that they, maybe we can have a better race uh, next time. Honestly, though, honestly, I think that it's going to take uh, a, little, a lot more work than went into it for this race to get that hap- to happen. Uh, Josh, I don't want to take up so much time because I just really wanted to run through all three of these races as quickly as I could. And if you want to touch on each and every race individually, you're more than welcome to. But I didn't really have anything to say about each individual race. I really had things to say about the weekend as a whole, to be honest with you. So if you have stuff to say about each individual race, you're more welcome to go ahead. But I wanted to say a few things about uh, the whole the race as a whole. No, I mean, it's a whole weekend conversation because this is new. This is a whole new thing. Look, yeah, was a big thing to remember. This weekend was kind of made out of necessity, okay? Uh, the ARCA, the Xfinity, and Cup race were the Watkins Glen race and uh, races, race weekend. And then the truck race, I can't remember where they, where they, where this race came from, from the IS. It was, it was supposed to be Canadian Tire, wasn't well, it? Well, yeah, it was supposed to be Canadian Tire, but it came from an ISC date, I think, because the Canadian okay. Tire race wasn't replaced till later. Um, I think it might have been an Iowa race weekend for um the trucks but nonetheless this was to get the road course race in for the for the truck series um again yeah arca was going to be a poor race to begin with you have 20 cars and at best you have eight competitive cars and obviously there were some issues that just again hey that race unlike formula one you know the the, the race isn't for first and second not for fourth fifth sixth seventh and eighth and ninth so it was kind of a, oddly there. The truck series, I thought, again, is necessity. Was it a good race? Not the greatest truck race. I think it was too fast. There was too much on gas, uh, on pedal time for the trucks. And the trucks don't have that much power to begin with. So you're kind of maxing it out. I remembered, okay, it was still a solid race. But I wouldn't want to see the trucks go back to the Daytona road course. The Xfinity and Cup, however, the Xfinity race was fantastic. Um, again, they were they had to break harder. They had low, low, low down force. Um, you have really good passing zones here. So you obviously have the turn one. You have the two horseshoes that you can make something happen. And then you have the two chicanes on the back stretch, and then on that they made for the the front stretch off of old turn four for the cup for the for the stock cars. Um, I think is the chicane on the front stretch perfect? No, I think some drivers would agree. If we were to do this again, you got to rework that a little bit. Um, but hey, we they did that with Charlotte. They didn't get it right the first time in Charlotte. It was just basically a jolt in the road that was a one lane deal, and then he come back last year for the second time around, and it was a much better th- product. Uh, so that's just something that hey, we'll look back. They'll go back. What can we explore? One thing I thought of: How would it look if you put a 
Second chicane on the back stretch, I don't know. It's just an idea. Let's, you know, something to test out on a simulator. Um, but I, I thought the cup race was good. Surprised there wasn't more issues. But then again, when you look at the weekend, the cup guys, they're watching all three races. Okay, what not to do? You know, um, sounds like there was some conversation pre-race, like, hey, guys, let's make it through turn one. Whereas in the Xfinity series, your restarts were a little more wild and crazy. The Cup Series, for the most part, you're two by two. There were some three wide, yes, but you're basically two by two the entire time. Let's make it through turn one. Let's not do anything stupid. The only on-track incident was then with Kyle Busch. Okay, you had caution for stages, caution for rain, and then Kyle Busch's issue. Um, but I, I thought it was a good, good, good weekend. I like again. I liked it again. I think they also, like you mentioned. NASCAR got the package wrong. They shouldn't have had the, the big spoiler. And it was all there because I think they'd be going too fast. Okay, keep it to the 550 horsepower and put the short spoiler on. What have I been saying? Let's test that out. Let's see how it works. The Xfinity series did fine with it. It's like they're ignoring what they run. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, the Xfinity race was the better race. They actually, They had some incidents and stuff that made things interesting, and they had some more restarts. Um, you, they had drama, you know, but the cup series did have ones too. I think there's potential there, uh, as, as you said. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'll say what else I got to say for later because I, like I made you do, but, uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think it's fun to look at, you know, at least the truck and Xfinity points battle because in the Xfinity series, or excuse me, the truck and the cup battle, um, you've got quite the race with four races remaining for the trucks. You got Dover Gateway, Darlington, and Richmond. Moffat's clear by 84. Rhodes is clear by 75. Eck is 74. But Ankrum and Gilliland are only clear by five and two. All right. And then uh, Derek Krause is, is back to Gray's back 45. Um, Lassard's back 55. Sauter 67. Friesen 87. I'm writing off Sauter and Friesen. Um, just so yeah. you don't think they, they need to win. I don't think they can get those points back because I think in general, Ankrum's running well enough to keep ahead and Gilliland is just had a rough go of it. That, that, uh, front row truck has been running well this year. He's had a rough go of it. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, but if you're going to have someone miss, I think Krause is going to be the guy who's going to be the spoiler points wise. Uh, but Sam, someone went below that, I think is going to be a little surprising. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I really think, uh, especially in the truck series, you kind of already know who's going to make the playoffs uh, usually by midseason. And I think at this point, we already are well aware that, you know, once if you're below a certain area, it, it's going to take you a while uh, to probably, it's, it's probably not going to happen for you. Yeah. Well, about the Cup Series, you got Johnson's back 25. Jones back 35, Reddick's 57 back, but then Bell and Wallace are 146 and 165 back. Uh, I, I think, I don't know. This one has got me all confused up, man. I, I think if you're going to have someone miss, it's going to be Byron. But who replaces them in the in the guys who are below that mark? I mean, I think Bell and Wallace have to win, but you got that Daytona wild card still. So anything can happen there. I mean, you could have Michael McDowell. Everyone thought he could win this weekend, but Michael McDowell, that front row cars this time around, they, they always run well at the super speedways. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, 
I think that uh, I just re- I just realized how much time we're pushing. Yeah. Do you want to move on to the outstanding performance real quick? Probably should. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the out- outstanding performances of the weekend. Josh, go ahead and go uh, give yours because yours was one that uh, definitely I gave a lot of consideration to. I came this close to actually picking, uh, but uh, I ended up with my uh, my choice, and uh, I hope that uh, people agree. <laughs> I, I'm going with Kaz Grawl simply because fantastic effort. We obviously know he's a good road course racer, um, but he goes out there and, you know, he didn't know he was going to be in this car until a few days before. He's driving the number three, which that's got to be a load of weight on you. Uh, you know, you're, you're not from the Childress family. You're not from the Earnhardt family. Now you're driving the three car. Watch out. Um. And then he gets out there and gets top 10. Led three laps. Three laps. Take that mm-hmm. as you will. That was pretty neat to see the three out front at Daytona on a road course. Um, and, but, and he also, this is a good category to be in. The first driver uh, are, since Carl Edwards to get a top 10 in their first Cup Series start. That's pretty good. Um, I like that. That's good company to be in. And, and Kazgrala just impressive. Stay clean. Uh, didn't do anything wrong. Just, you know what, went out there, did his job, brought the car home, did American ethanol well, and did the three team well in the owner's points chase. So good for them. I agree. I agree. I think he did a great job. Great job. All uh, overall by Kaz Grala, keeping it out of, uh, keeping it out of the fence, keeping it out of trouble and bringing it home in the top 10. Uh, I think there were a lot of choices this pick this this week to pick, as I already mentioned. And if I could, I would probably pick a bunch of them. But I'm going to go with Marco Andretti. Uh, and this guy has had the worst stretch of seasons in recent memory. I mean, he's just uh, so many races where he was never a factor and usually also ran. Just He's been completely forgotten. Like most people have just completely forgotten Marco Andretti is even still an IndyCar. Yep. Uh, to be honest with you, he's been entirely irrelevant. Uh, but suddenly, out of nowhere, he's top of the charts at both qualifying sessions. Uh, and for Indianapolis, and now he's he's looking like he's going to be one of the favorites to win because he's just simply has one of the fastest cars out there. I don't, now I don't know if Marco's going to be able to hold it off or if uh, Brian Hearn is going to be able to pull off a decent strategy. We'll see. Brian Hearn has done it before in the '98 in 2011. I, that was a different story, though. I just I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, hats off to Marco. He did do it again with 16 and Rossi too. So. But uh, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Hats off to Marco and that whole team for turning it around so rapidly and then destroying everybody else in qualifying. Uh, next uh, segment here before we go to the Rob's Featured 500, which is coming up. Uh, let's do upshift and downshift. A little bit of rapid fire since we're pushing time a little bit. Uh, quick refresher if you're new to the show. Uh, we do our upshift and downshift. This is our weekly opinion poll. Uh, we present a number of hypothetical questions or statements, and we're asked whether or not we upshift or downshift over those questions or statements. Upshift meaning we agree with the statement. Downshift meaning we disagree with the statement. Uh, Josh, Jenna Fryer tweeted, word on the street is that NASCAR wouldn't approve the Daytona road course race as Jordan Taylor's first career NASCAR start, despite uh, multiple uh, Rolex watches that he's got on his wrist from winning the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Uh, do you upshift or downshift this move by NASCAR? A downshift. I kind of, I don't know where he would have been uh, or what series. It, I mean, obviously the cup series, but I don't know what team he would have been in. Wow. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I think it would have been cool. The uh, good, good IMSA crossover. Um, 
I downshift. Definitely disappointed. Even if he would have been in a Rick Ware car or maybe if he was looking to be in the 77 Spire car instead of Stanton Barrett. Um, but uh, disappointed. It would have been cool to see a guy who, who definitely enjoys NASCAR and interacts a lot with it. I agree with that one. I don't understand where Stanton Barrett came from. I mean, Stanton Barrett hasn't made – when was the last time Stanton Barrett made a start? A couple of years? Last year. What was it last year? I looked it up. And before last year, when was it? 2018. I oh, so he's been making a start like every season? Well, he's 2018 was like his first start in like since 07, but. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> God. So he, he was out for 10 years and now he's making one off starts now and then again. Okay. He was at Talladega. Oh, he was at the Charlotte Roval in 18 in Talladega last year. Okay. All right. Okay. That's weird. Um, stunt Hollywood stuntman Stanton Barrett having trouble finding work once again. Uh, Ferrari currently sits fifth in the Formula One constructor standings. Ferrari will finish fourth or worse in the final standings. Do you upshift or downshift, Josh? I am going to upshift. I think someone's going to upset the big three, and Ferrari won't be able to pull it together. Um, so I upshift. I upshift too. If if Racing Point keeps getting the finishes that they are, I mean Ferrari for all their for all intents and purposes, yes, they're getting podiums with Charles Leclerc. But the problem is Vettel is just barely finishing in the points, whereas Racing Point right now is having both of their drivers finish fourth and fifth almost every week. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I I, I got to upshift. I mean, unless something changes here, unless Vettel gets magically better, unless Ferrari throws a wrench and tries to, you know, throws old kitchen sink at it. Mm -hmm. And tries to get some more sp speed out of Vettel's car. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, let's go on here. Second, uh, third question. Despite finishing seventh at Michigan and third at the Daytona Road Course, is it a little too late to help Raphael Lazard's return chances of returning to Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2021? Do you upshift or downshift, Josh? Uh, my gut's telling me to upshift. I think, I really think that we're going to see. Chandler Smith and or Ty Gibbs in a truck next year alongside Christian Eckes in the in the Kyle Busch camp. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's maybe a little little too late. You know what? You took the words right out of my mouth. I really think it's too late for Lassard. Lassard has just not been up to snuff. Uh, Christian Eckes has been outperforming him almost every week, just about every week. Uh, and that's not a, and that's something that we talked about earlier. Is you know. The, the best way to evaluate a driver's performance is how do they stack up to their teammate. And the thing about it here is he's just not stacking up to his teammates right now, and that's the main problem. I mean, you got to be competitive within your teammates. And mm -hmm. if that's not that's not happening, it's going to be really tough to keep you in that ride. Yeah. Uh, so next question here. Uh, let's see. You think the curse of the three-peat will strike Team Penske, or will they actually win the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday, Josh? I don't like what I saw of the Chevrolets. Um, if we have, you know, one or two Penske cars in the Fast Nine, or all three of them, or, or excuse me, all four of them there, I might be upshifting. But I'm downshifting. Those Hondas look too that look too good, and and that's a lot to overcome for at least those Chevys. So no, Penske will not win a third straight Indianapolis 500. Yeah, it's hard for me not to dis not to uh, not to disagree about that one. I mean, that is straight up. There's, there's really no other way to say it. I mean, when you qualify poorly, it's very, it's not, it's not likely that you're going to have success in the race. I mean, it can happen. It can happen. It's happened before, but it's not something that, looking at race trends, 
it's not something that happens typically. You know, yeah. if you're in the top 10, if you're in the top 15, yeah, you're probably all right. But once you get out of the top 15, it's just going to be way too hard for you to make up spots and, and be competitive. I mean, you might, who knows, you could pull out a top 10. You could pull out a ninth. I mean, we've seen it happen before. I mean, uh, in the early 2010s, uh, the Andretti cars, which routinely qualify in the mid twenties, and and it pull out top tens every time. Uh, so you know it it can happen. I'm not saying it can't happen. It can happen. Uh, you know Penske will probably pull off with Newgarden, Pagano, and probably Power in the top ten. Elio might have a more difficult time getting in the top ten, but anything can happen. It is Elio, but given his speed and given his, the time he's spent out of an Indy car, it's mm-hmm. not likely. Uh, so you know what? I really think that the curse of the three peat is going to strike Team Penske. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it's probably going to end up happening. Um, and this year looks like to be an Andretti year. Yeah, I mean, this looks like it's going to be one of those Andretti years. And I am not necessarily going to close the book on Ryan Hunter Ray's chances this season of getting a getting getting a number getting his second Borg Warner because I think it's going to happen. Yeah, um, good, good pick, good pick. My pick, I'm picking Hinchcliffe, but. Yeah, he's a good. Uh, Hinch has been out of the car for too long, I think. And he doesn't. He doesn't have the full season under his belt like uh, Hunter Ray has. Everyone's been out of the car. Basically, you're talking like they've only been racing for two and a half months. Right, but but he races. I, I'm not. I I think that's an advantage to him. Hinch only made. Hinch only raced Texas so far. And that's an oval. It is an oval, but that's the only race he's run this week, this year. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Uh, last question here. NASCAR will realign the summer uh, date at, at Daytona International Speedway for the NASCAR Xfinity Series and the NASCAR Cup Series from the two and a half mile oval to the road course in the next few years. Do you see this is happening, Josh? I upshift. I've said it before. Let's go back. I'm going to go on a rant, not a rant here, but I'm going to go on a little longer here. It won't take too long. But back when they announced that the clash in 21 was going to move into the road courses, this is a test. This is a test to see how the stock cars will behave on the road course in a move to copy Charlotte and Indianapolis. That's what all this move, that's what that move was all about. It wasn't to change things up. It was a test. So yeah, they're going to upshift it. In general, it was a successful weekend. They, I think they can look at the, the Xfinity and Cup races and say, we have something here. Uh, we can build on this. We can improve it just like Charlotte did. And Indianapolis did in July uh, with the Xfinity Series. And, of course, that's a little different, unique situation there. That's to to diversify the the Indy weekend and make the Brickyard 400 mean more. But Charlotte, all right, now you have two two different weekends, first track to do that, uh, where you have two different configurations. Yes, this is going to happen. February will, re- will be the Oval, so they'll probably put the Clash back to the Oval eventually. And, you know, we'll run the Clash on Tuesday. Practice for the Daytona 500 on Wednesday, the duels on Thursday, truck on Friday night, ARCA and Xfinity on Saturday, and then the Daytona 500 on Sunday. And then we come back around into the summertime, whether whenever that's going to be, and the Xfinity and Cup Series will come uh, race the road course. And by the way, you could probably have an IMSA race there too uh, to make the weekend even bigger for race fans and that crossover, which I'm not, I don't think has ever happened with an IMSA and NASCAR crossover weekend. So, yeah, I'm up shifting. This is going to happen. Yeah, it has. Brickyard Super Weekend. That's right. I forgot the Super Weekend. Yes. The super Weekend. Dude, that was the best thing in the world. That was one of the, I, I'm still sad, Imsa, that 
stop yeah, going they, to the Super Weekend. That was a whole re- actually Super Weekend in and of itself was totally worth buying a three day. It was. It was totally worth it. Totally worth well, it. When I, I had it. That and I'm going to kick myself for forgetting that now. I'm about to just jump through this window. So uh, yeah, don't that, do that. that. It's. A, I'm on the first floor. It won't be a long fall. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. That's true. Well, That's true. You know, I don't necessarily want to see it happen, but I think it's probably going to happen. I think you're right. I'm not. I I prefer going to Daytona on the road course, but or not, not on the road course on the oval. Uh, but you know, I I see it. it I, I don't know. I just feel like stock cars should be on the oval. You know, I mean, there's certain there's there's rovals that stock cars can go to. Plenty of really good rovals that stock cars can go to. But when we're talking about Daytona, you know, unless we're making a whole separate event for it, not changing another event. You know, like when when IndyCar decided to go run on the on the on the road course at IMS, it it wasn't like they were changing the 500. They just added another race. You know, if anything, I would prefer them to 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 keep it a standalone independent race while still running on the oval. But, you know, anything could happen and we'll see. And I don't know what's going to happen specifically. But what you said, what you suggested, Josh, is probably what's going to happen. And I wouldn't doubt that at all. Uh, In fact, if that did happen, I wouldn't really be all that upset about it. And I think another reason it's probably going to happen, too, in NASCAR, if this is the reason, would never admit it. Because it's just the wrong message. But it eliminates one less race from what we saw in February with Ryan Newman. It takes away that one less. I mean, yes, people have been hurt and killed on road courses, but what we saw in Daytona is obviously and that's not going to happen on the, on in the road course. So yeah, so I think I think that's that that might be a reason too. But uh, all right, Rob, I think it's time for uh, the feature five hundred to make a return here. Good thing I've got 20 minutes to talk, yeah. uh, give or take. All right, so we've decided to make a change for this week to celebrate the 104th running of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, we've decided to do a featured 500 in August, since this is the first 500 that was never run, uh, that was not run in May. This is the first time the 500 has not been run in May in its 100-plus year history, which is insane Very insane. to think about. And it took a global pandemic to have that happen. Uh, Now, the goal of the Featured 500 has always been to talk about the 500s that aren't as memorable as the others. The 500s that don't get the the discussion. They don't get talked about very often. You know, people don't look back on these races as fondly as maybe they look back on other races. You know, people point to 1992 all the time, say, well, that was one of the most, uh, there's stories all over 1992. Well, those stories have been told. You know, those stories have been told time and time again. You know, we already know the stories from 1995. We know the stories from 1994. You know, those stories have been told. We know how great of a finish 2006 was. You know, those stories have been told before. But let's. point of this is to talk about the races that they don't get talked about. These are the 500s that have winners that people forget. You know, things like that. So the choice this, this week takes us to a very strange year for American Open Wheel Racing. Uh, 2004. Almost signaled the end of the split. Uh, but at the last moment, Cart was saved and managed to put on a season with less than 20 entries. Uh, essentially, Cart had filed for bankruptcy at the end of 2003. Its assets, assets were put up for, for, for sale, and uh, it was essentially being entirely liquidated. So it was assumed that there wasn't going to be a, a champ car season or a cart season uh, in 2004 uh, until Paul Genalozzi, Kevin Kalkoven, and uh, someone else, I can't remember the name, but I know 
Cal- Kevin Calcove and Paul Giannalozzi were the two main guys. Uh, essentially saved it, bought the assets from it. Uh, there was a bid by Tony George to, to purchase the assets uh, uh, from liquidation, uh, but that did not go through. And instead, the uh, assets were rewarded to Giannalozzi and Cal Coven uh, and, and their group. Uh, so Champ Card did end up putting on a show. Uh, but as a result, by this point, since uh, Cart had essentially just came back from the brink, oh gosh, what, late February? So you're going to have, they were about supposed to run Long Beach in only a few weeks, and they had just barely saved their season. Uh, well, by this point, uh, some teams had uh, seen the writing on the wall and switched their allegiances to the IRL. Uh, Fernandez Racing was one of the first to do that. Um, they switched allegiances and purchased uh, G-Force chassis after selling their Lola chassis. Uh, so 2004 would mark Adrian Fernandez's return to the Indianapolis 500 for the first time since 1995. Also in pre- pre-race news, Chip Ganassi Racing originally entered uh, a driver by the name of Luis Diaz as the driver of the number 10, but Diaz was replaced by Darren Manning after rookie orientation. So rookies for the 2004 Indianapolis 500 included Ed Carpenter, Kosuke Matsura, Mark Taylor, Darren Manning, Larry Foyt, PJ Jones, Jeff Simmons, and Marty Roth. How many of those do you remember, Josh? Uh, one, two, three, four, four of them. Yeah. 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 I, I don't blame you. Um, Mark Taylor was the, uh, I believe if he wasn't the defending, I think he was the defending Indy pro champion, uh, infinity. What do they call it? Uh, yeah. Infinity something. Infinity pro series. I think they called it, um, before it was Indy lights. He was the defending champion of that. Uh, so that's why he was in the race. Um, and, uh, but he had also, he was, he was in, uh, the number two for John Menard's team, uh, as well, I believe. Uh, but yeah, Ed Carpenter was in, was in it cause he, he was it with, with, uh, team Red Bull, Red Bull Cheever. Kosuke Matsuura was in there. He, he was an all right driver. Of course, we talked about Darren Manning, Larry Foyt, uh, made his Indy 500 debut for his, uh, grandfather's team or his father's team, excuse me, PJ Jones marked the return of a, uh, Jones to. Indianapolis, uh, Father Parnelli, Canadian rich man Marty Roth made his rookie debut, and then Jeff Simmons made his rookie debut as well. Uh, Robbie Gordon entered his own car with his own team in what would be his final double duty attempt uh, for Robbie Gordon. So new rules were implemented for 2004, with engine displacement being lowered from 3.5 liters to 3 liters, and the fuel cell was reduced from 5 gallons. Reduced by five gallons from 35 to 30. Uh, these were all done to reduce speeds in the wake of Tony Renna's fatal accident in October 2003. As a result, speeds were down almost 10 miles an hour from 2003. And if you watch early races from 2004, so like Homestead, watch that first Homestead race from 2004, you'll briefly see that the airbox was like cut in half. Uh, and you can, you, you can look at pictures from uh, the 2004. Uh, IRL season, especially early in the season, and you could see that cut down airbox, and that was again uh, essentially done to restrict the horsepower in the cars. Uh, so it kind of acted like the NASCAR restrictor plate would, uh, but you know, after a few races, they decided to get rid of that and go back to the full airbox. And so by Indianapolis, the full airbox had returned, and they had just, you know, said, "All right, engine displacement being lowered and fuels, uh, fuels gallons, fuel cells being lowered, you know, that'll do enough to curtail speeds." to keep these cars 
in a in an area where we want them to be. Uh, so that that ended up working. Um, only 34 cars were entered for 2004. So this is the second year in a row where it seemed like uh, they were getting it was it was difficult to field cars to get to get full fields to get bumping. And this is especially considering considering the fact that uh, consider you know you wouldn't have cart drivers move over because all the cart drivers that could afford to move over had already done so. And any cart driver that was going to run the Indy 500 had already, you know, any cart team that was going to do that had already declared or probably didn't have the money to because there wasn't any guarantee that there was going to be a cart season that they could make any money off of. Uh, so, you know, that was that was definitely something that uh, plagued the entry. So with a low entry list, rumors began to swirl during bump day, on bump day during qualifications, which was, you know, which would be bump day because we were bumping one car, keep in mind. So it was technically bump day. Yep. Um, rumors began to swirl about A.J. Foyt planning to enter a car for Tony Stewart, uh, who would then have an opportunity to compete in his fourth double. On bump day, it almost became a reality. Now, during the morning hours, A.J. Foyt made a call to Tony Stewart, who happened to be nearby at the time, and he asked if he'd be willing to qualify one of his cars. Stewart accepted and arrived at the track, passed all the required tests and physicals, and was ready to make a qualifying attempt. Uh, he w- the car was prepared. The car had been entirely prepared for Stewart. Uh, the engine had been fired up. Everything was ready. But Stewart never strapped in. The car was on pit road. The car was pushed out to pit road, pushed out from Gasoline Alley, was sitting on pit road, just needed a driver. Uh, but Stewart never got strapped in. The gun went off to end qualifying with Stewart never even turning a single lap. And uh, Ford's driver Jacques Lazier was the only car bumped from the field that day. Uh, Stewart revealed to reporters after bump day that uh, due, to his, due to his then current contracts with Joe Gibbs Racing and sponsors, that forbade him from driving a car powered by Toyota. Well, we because AJ Foyt was running Toyota engines. That was why Tony Stewart could not make an attempt at the Indianapolis 500 in 2004. He came that close, but it did not happen. Mm. It did not happen. That was one of the major stories that I think a lot of people do forget about was that it was a it was entirely possible at that moment that Tony Stewart would go ahead and enter double duty and join Robbie Gordon as being the second driver to go ahead and do that again. But it didn't happen. Now, speaking of pole speeds, we, talk, we already talked about how pole speeds were down by about 10 miles an hour. Uh, Buddy Rice sat on the pole with a speed of 222.024 miles an hour. So just barely over 221 miles an hour. Just barely. Uh, second place qualifier Dan Weldon was a half a mile an hour slower with a speed of 221.524. So Rice definitely had one of the fastest cars that whole season, and, and Buddy Rice was really the prize story of the season. Rice had showed speed in the past, but was never really a major contender to win races. It wasn't until 2004 that uh, Rice started to become a legitimate contender for every single race. He was leading laps. He was out front, and he and pulled for the Indianapolis 500, and this was unheard of. Nobody ever expected. Nobody expected going into May of 2004 that Buddy Rice was going to have this the month that he ended up having. Uh, so Ray Hall Letterman had an outstanding group that gave Rice some of the best cars, able to maximize speed in the admittedly a bit underpowered G-Force chassis. Uh, now keep in mind, rain threatened the entire month. It was the mo- it was the wettest month of May 
in since the Indianapolis 500 had been going, which means that there was almost no on-track activity to discuss. Practice was washed out. Qualifying barely got in under cloudy skies. Um, you know, it, it it was just not a very pleasant month of May. Uh, and and when race day rolled around, it was again still not pleasant. There was rain in the forecast. There was thunderstorms so much so that we actually had an uh, almost a two hour delay due to rain. Now keep them. Now the thing about this though was that the race was able to actually complete about ninety percent, about eighty percent of its of its required distance, um, which is a miracle. A complete miracle that this race was even able to get in that many laps, 180 laps before they ended up having to stop it. Now, during that uh, delay, Robbie Gordon had to give up his uh, attempt at double duty because he was not going to make it to Charlotte in time. Regardless of when that race ended at that point, after the two-hour delay, he had to fly to Charlotte. So the driver who had been bumped and who ended up would end up becoming the first alternate technically. Uh, was Jacques Lazier, so Jacques Lazier stepped in in relief of Robbie Gordon while he flew to Charlotte to compete in that night's Coca-Cola 600. Uh, this marked an early end to Gordon's seventh double-duty attempt. So Gordon attempted double-duty seven times in his career, and 2004 would be his final attempt. He would not return for 2005, uh, especially after he started fielding his own cars, because this was his only attempt at fielding his own car. In 2004, Robbie Gordon actually entered his own team in 2004, so this was his only attempt doing that, uh, and this would be the final attempt doing that as well. Now, the race was dominated by Buddy Rice, who was de- who declared victory after the race was stopped for the final time after 180 laps. A th- strong thunderstorm caused widespread damage to central Indiana that evening with F2 tornado, F2 tornado, just missing the track and the 300,000 spectators that were there. And I remember this night. I remember this very vividly because I do remember the storms. Uh, I do remember uh, having to essentially watch the Coca-Cola 600 in the basement because of how bad the storms were and how bad tornadoes were. It was a very, very bad night of storms. And it just so happened to come on the same day as the Indianapolis 500, which makes this 500 memorable to central Indiana residents. Maybe not so much so to people who don't live in central Indiana and you know, don't remember it all that much. But if you were there at the racetrack, I imagine it was probably pretty scary having to avoid a tornado warning that's in the area. Yeah. Um, that's not exactly what you want to... You want to uh, see the race get stopped. You get into your car, you turn on the torn, tor- turn on the radio, the next thing you know, there's a tornado warning going off, and you're... I didn't you're buy that to- ticket. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm glad that this was not one that I went to. I did not attend this 500, and I'm secretly glad that I did because my dad tells me it was just awful. Uh, not as bad as 07 where he snuck into Marty Roth's suite, which is something that my father actually did. Um, he got into Marty Roth's suite before they kicked him out. Um, okay. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, fun Marty Roth story. Um so, but anyway, so Buddy Rice would end up uh, leading 91 laps, so he would take home the most laps led in the season. So this is essentially the 500 for Buddy Rice. This was the an obscure uh, fluke win victory for Buddy Rice because he would never come close to replicating this level of success. Like, it would not even be on the same radar as but for Buddy Rice replicating this level of success ever again. And I'm going to talk about Buddy Rice's uh, brief uh history here before we call it a day uh so 
essentially 2004 inning LS 500 was Buddy Rice's first major open wheel victory. So the first time he'd ever won in American open wheel, the top level of American open wheel competition. First time was the Indianapolis 500 that. in 2004. Um, and then uh, Rice, unfortunately, so like I said, he wouldn't be able to uh, replicate his 2004 success, but he did win two other races at, at Kansas and Michigan in this season before he finished third in the championship. There was a legitimate chance that Rice could have won this championship. In fact, the championship was down to the wire in the very last race. Uh, Tony Kanaan ended up winning the championship, but, but Rice was in the in the title hunt the whole time. It's just that, keep in mind, Rice's inconsistency, which was a serious problem for him and always had been a serious problem for him really did end up costing him that championship because he had a lot of great drives, but you know, certain DNFs at certain races where he should have probably finished a lot higher really kind of took him out of the championship conversation by the time they got to, uh, uh Texas that, that, uh, that, that fall. So Rice didn't win in open wheel competition after 2004. That race in Michigan would be his final career IndyCar win. So his first race, first career win comes at Indianapolis. His final win comes just about a month or two later at Michigan, which is crazy to think about. Um, so he would leave IndyCar after the 2008 season, but he randomly appeared again in 2011 to run Indianapolis, Kentucky, and Las Vegas, which would be his final open wheel starts. Uh, and ever since then, Buddy Rice has just been off the grid for the most part, completely off the grid. Uh, I believe he has a Twitter account that never tweets. Uh, it's called Buddy Rice Karting, so he owns his own kart karting uh, company now. Uh, but that's about it. That's all I can tell you about Buddy Rice. I mean, not many people know what happened to him. And this is a former Indianapolis 500 winner. And for, I mean, I, I know people said, I said that it was kind of a fluke, but say what you want. The man dominated the whole month. The man dominated the whole month. You can't, I mean, it, it can't really be a fluke when you dominate the whole month like that. It's true. That That's fair. I'll give you, I, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not like he just lucked into the win because of the rain. I mean, he was going to win that race regardless of whether or not the rains came when they came, I think. I think Buddy Rice, regardless of whether or not the rains came when they came, Buddy Rice still would have probably won that race because he had the fastest car. And we saw him on multiple occasions outduel Tony Kanaan, outduel Dan Weldon, outduel the Andretti cars. I mean, it was just he had a faster car than them, and nobody knew what to do with him. He had the fastest car. I mean, he made the, some of the craziest moves on restarts uh, that were just just outstanding. So. Uh, fun to talk about Buddy Rice. Uh, fun to talk about Buddy Rice. Enjoyed talking about uh, that. Uh, let's move on to what's in the windshield. Uh, thank you for listening to that. Thank you, Josh, for giving me that opportunity to talk about 2004 Indianapolis 500. As I uh, said, as we, on the record, I, anytime you want, want it, <laughs> we can switch. It's it, it's fun. It's just uh, I have to remember that extra prep where I'm like, okay, I've got to go look up uh, all of these things again and then essentially type this paper and not uh, – not to do it too late and not try and ad-lib it. <laughs> uh, so what's in the windshield? Let's see uh, some of the races that are coming up this weekend. Uh, because we do have a full list of races this weekend. Uh, we have another MotoGP race coming up this weekend as well. They're again in Austria. It's the Styrian Motorcycle Grand Prix. So much like Formula 1, uh, they name it the Styrian Grand Prix as well. Formula 1 is off this weekend. So no Formula 1, no Formula 2, no Formula 3. Uh, to my knowledge, though, I do believe that there is... Is there another Supercars race this weekend? There was a Supercars wait, wait, uh, weekend. Uh, Scott McLaughlin won all of the races. Uh, 
except for uh, Anton De Pasquale won the first race, and then McLaughlin won McLaughlin, and then Wind Cup. Excuse me, it was Pasquale McLaughlin Wind Cup. That was how it went. Uh, so Dover, NASCAR's in Dover. NASCAR's in Dover this weekend. Uh, Friday, the Arkham and Art Series East races the General Tire 125 at 2 p.m. And then the NASCAR Gander RVs and Outdoor Truck Series races the KDI Office Technology 200 at 5 p.m. God, I love some of these names for races. On it's Saturday, the next few days. <laughs> on Saturday, the Dry Dean 200 for the NASCAR Xfinity Series starts at 12.30 p.m. And then the Dry Dean 311 for the Cup Series starts at 4 p.m. So doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, and then finally on Sunday, the second Dryden 200 for the NASCAR Xfinity Series at 1 p.m. And then the second Dryden 311 for the Cup Series is at 4 p.m. So double headers on both Saturdays and Sunday. Uh, and then f- figure out how you're going to – I, you know what, dude? I don't know how we're going to do Sunday. I'm Xfinity race Sunday. is probably not going to get – I don't know how I'm going to do it either. Xfinity race is – let's be honest. The Xfinity race can probably count on four people watching it. And those four people watching it are probably the four people allowed in a sports bar. Um, so also on Sunday, the, the the 104th running of the Indianapolis 500 finally takes place with a full field of 33 cards that will be led to the green by Marco Andretti. Finally, the 11 rows of three will suit up to finally run the Indianapolis 500 in 2020. Uh, so that is it for uh, this week's Robin Roller. Uh, thank you so much for listening this week. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all of your support, all of the listeners that we have. We thank every single one of you. Don't forget that you could participate along in the upshift and downshift using the hashtag AskRobinRoller. And you can also at any time tweet at the show or tweet at us. We do respond to your tweets, promise. Um, I'm at rpeters33, R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh is at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And, of course, the show is at Robin Roller, uh, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. Anytime you want to get a hold with us, you're more than welcome to. Uh, and if you enjoyed the show, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with all of your all of the coverage from all of the races uh, obscure that uh, I watch and all of the main races that everybody else plus Josh watches. Uh, so thank you again for listening and tuning in, and we will see you guys next week. For Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob Ed Roller podcast. The three-